Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's find our Bibles and go to 2 Samuel chapter number 11 and uh, let's stand and we'll read together. And on this Wednesday night, we will have a night of prayer. It'll be a little bit different. We'll meet in room 116, be a night of prayer, and specifically focused on, uh, on uh, adventure camp and just uh, God working in our church. We need him more than ever uh, at all times. Brother Tom will be leading that night of prayer, and so I urge you to be a part of, of that time together as we seek the Lord and seek his uh, spirit's power and his filling uh, for the work that he has ahead of us. Second uh, Samuel chapter number 11, our focus will be on verse number 1, but let's uh, go back up just a little bit and find uh, number 17, chapter 10, verse And when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and passed over Jordan and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in array against David and fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen, I said 40,000 horsemen, and smote Shabak, the captain of their host, who died there. So he had not only had an incredible victory over the Syrians, he also took out their leader, um, a great war report, if you are to uh, summarize it in that way. Verse 19, and when all the kings that were servants to Hadrezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they made peace with Israel. So the news traveled and they're all trying to make peace treaties. They don't want to be coming to the same demise as the Syrians. And so they're making these peace treaties and served them so the Syrians feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at, that, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants, and his servants, and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rebath. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Father, we ask that you would guide us tonight. We thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you have given us narratives, historical narratives that we know are divinely inspired. You preserved them to this generation. Lord, you preserved them to every adult here, every child here, every teenager. You wanted us to read this story. So we receive it in that way tonight, knowing it's from you. We ask that you would guide us tonight. Would you guide the message? And would you work in our hearts? And Lord, I'm mindful that you said that your word, every bit of it, is inspired and that it's profitable. 
and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God, the woman of God, might be perfectly furnished, thoroughly furnished to all good works. Lord, you told us to maintain good works. But I find in my own self that there's times that things I allow in my own heart, attitudes, thought processes, a spirit of apathy, Lord hinders from engaging in the good work. So I pray that you would clean us tonight. Would you build on what we've already heard today? Would you clean us tonight so that we might be ready vessels for your use in these days, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing tonight. King David was a shepherd boy, as we all understand. He was a shepherd boy who uh, really uh, got the attention of the king of Israel, um, not on purpose. He didn't go seeking that attention, but he got the attention of King Saul when he came out uh, at the bidding of his father to bring provisions to his brothers that were out fighting the battle for Israel in the the Valley of Elah. And and you know the story of uh, David and Goliath. He went there and uh, he had a vision in his heart. He had the cause of God in his heart. And so he was ready, a ready warrior at that point, even at the age of maybe 16 or 17 years of age. And he fought that battle. And because of that, we, uh, we understand that uh, all Israel was just captured by this, this boy warrior that uh, really just trusted God when no one else was trusting God, trusted God and, and did what God told him to do and saw God win an incredible victory over a giant they thought they could not win against. It's interesting that out of that, they, they began to sing songs. If you would have turned on the radio in that day, uh, you would have heard the songs that were coming across. David slew his, uh, uh, Saul slew his thousand, but David is ten thousands. And you heard it even in the, in the pop culture, if you will. They were talking about him everywhere. It was on the streets that David, this boy warrior, had really done a pretty great job out there in the Valley of Elah. So as we consider David's impact on the nation of Israel and on history at that point, we find that he is the most mentioned or uh, the second most mentioned individual in the Old Testament. You think about all the different individuals that are mentioned that God has written down for us, yet God mentions him uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, the most mentioned human in the Old Testament, and I, I want to say the, uh, the second most frequently mentioned uh, uh, human in all the Bible under Jesus. So it's pretty interesting how that he just captured even the very revelation of God. Uh, it, it's amazing how God had used him. He's the main character in many Old Testament books, First, sec, uh, first and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, the Psalms, nearly uh, more than half of the Psalms written by David. Here's a man that really uh, got the attention of God and man in a, a pretty powerful and, a, and an effective way. And uh, even as we consider his kingship, uh, he was the one who moved really the headquarters of Israel to Jerusalem and was the man who uh, was, was responsible for establishing that as a capital city. So here's a, here's, a, here's a man that was really used, really used. Even today, the city of David, everyone knows that's Jerusalem, right? It's, it, it, it's something that's just understood. The throne of David, a, a revered spot. Uh, King David's life still powerfully affects the 
culture of Jerusalem and, and, and the names. Different hotels bear his name, right? Here's a man that has literally, from his, from his teenage years on, has affected human history. We think about David, he was born in 1040 B.C. Uh, he became king somewhere around the age of 30 years of age. A lot of responsibility. He was very wise in how he even came to that spot. He would not touch God's anointed. He did not rush God's timing. He reigned for 40 years. Somewhere about 12 years after he began reigning and after he had moved the headquarters of Israel to Jerusalem and really brought the, the economic value of Jerusalem up, they said even in, in David's reign, uh, silver was like, pavement, uh, uh, like the pavement on the streets. It was just so prevalent. He was, he was a very blessed king. And somewhere about 12 years after, about 40 years of age, David falls into the sin of adultery as we read here in verse number uh, verse number uh, 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 one through uh, verse number four he he commits a sin that has tarnished this boy warrior's life throughout all history everyone everyone knows this a particular event in his life it's amazing we can do a lot of good thing for God and have one thing go wrong in our life one choice and really just it really tarnished our record or our testimony for the rest of our life and the rest of our, our history as, as, as known to man. And so here, here he is about 12 years after, and we, we pick up in chapter number 11 here with these very interesting words, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. I want us to realize tonight, as we would walk through this passage, especially chapter number 11, I want us to realize this was a season of battle in David's life. This was a season of battle in his life. He says here in verse number one, and it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. This is just a really practical point, but they went out during the springtime. It was good weather. The winter season, the, the wet season was over. It was a good time to go out. Everyone likes going out in the good times. Everyone's more cheerful today because there's sunshine outside. Right. I mean, it just changes the whole dynamic of our of the way we sing, of the way we uh, come in here. It just changes everything about us. If there's sunshine outside. So they had they during that time would go forth to battle. But also, it's interesting, that would be the time where uh, things are starting to grow. And and it's not barren win uh, winter. It is there's there's some things growing. There's more provisions available and so on. So it's just a great time of year. And so. It was in this season that that the kings would typically go out and do battle and continue their campaigns and protect their property and protect their land and their people and so on. And so was the case there in Israel. However, in this minute, uh, David, uh, David does not engage in that. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I want us to realize David was characterized. His whole life was characterized by war. This was a reality in his life from that time where he stepped out in the Valley of Elah and said, I come to you in the, the name of the Lord of hosts of Israel, and you're not going to defy my God. I come to you, and while you come to me with spear and a sword, I come to you in the name of the Lord. I mean, that's pretty amazing how he did that. But from the very moment that he stepped out into that battlefield to the rest of his life, he was marked by, by war. Uh, in his teenage years, as he kept the sheep, he was, he was marked by the willingness and the bravery and the courage to fight battles that, were, that would be, be left by any other human, to fight a lion and a bear and 
slay them with his own bare hands. That's pretty amazing. Sounds like uh, uh, Davy Crockett type of stuff, but uh, we know this is in the word of God and it's all true. Amen. And so uh, he, he fought that and he fought Goliath and that gave him confidence. By the way, should I just add this, that every battle won in the with the power of God gives us courage for the next battle. And God didn't start out with him fighting Goliath, who had a sword. He fought out on giving him a lion and a bear to, um, to fight against, and he won there and knew it was from God, and he was able to go after um, Goliath with courage. And so as, as this happened in his life, uh, even Saul took notice and, and started sending him on campaigns. First Samuel 18 and verse number 5 tells us that wherever Saul sent him, he won and he succeeded. So Saul just kept on sending him on military campaigns. It was pretty amazing. Uh, once Saul got jealous, he started chasing after David and trying to kill him. And so that was a whole nother battle that David had to fight, uh, just staying alive and away from, uh, away from Saul. But he did that with skill and did that with courage. And with the Lord's help, he did that. We find here in chapter number 10, 9, 10, and, uh, and so on, we find that he fought against the Philistines and he won. He fought against the, the Moabites and he won. He fought against the Syrians and he won. I mean, he's winning all these battles. He's taking out, his army took out 40,000 horsemen. I mean, he's taking out, I mean, he's swiping out armies in a pretty amazing way. He's winning. And you know what's amazing? How, how uh, that his life was characterized by war and being a warrior and fighting in these battles. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 28 and verse number 3, when David had set his heart to build a house, a dwelling place for God on earth, God says, no, I'm not going to allow you to do that because you are a, do you remember, a man of war. He was a feared individual. And here he is in a season of battle. He's been in seasons of battle many times. He's here in a season of battle as a, as a seasoned a warrior, a man who knew how to go about war, who knew the craft of war. He knew all this, and here he is in a season of battle. And I just want to remind us tonight that like David, you and I are in a season of battle. And you know what it is called? It's life. It's life. It, it, it's not just one week on our calendar. It, it, it's not just one week in your personal family calendar. It is life. We are in a season of battle for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We, we wrestle, we wrestle, we fight, we war. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. What does it say? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And what is Paul trying to tell the Corinthians? You're in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual war. And like David was in a physical war, in a physical season of battle, so aren't we in a season of battle, and it is our lives until Jesus comes. And I think many times in our own hearts we wrestle with that boy if we could just get to the good life if we could just get to a place where we're comfortable no we're in a season of battle we're in a season where it, uh, it just continues to have a fight the trumpet still plays the notes of war Spurgeon said you cannot sit down and put on the victory wreath on your head you do not have a crown yet you still must wear the helmet and carry the sword you must watch and pray and fight Expect your battle to be the most diff uh, expect your last battle to be the most difficult for the enemy's fiercest 
charge is reserved for the end of the day. And we think, oh, I'm going to get to that place where it's going to just be easy street. No, this week's not going to be easy street. There's battles to fight. You're in a season of battle, and we must realize this. Beloved, when I gave diligence to write unto you the common salvation, uh, Jude said it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, encourage you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. We're in a battle. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No, this is America. We shouldn't have to endure hardness. It's all convenient. It's all like quick and easy. When it's not easy, we get rid of it. I mean, we just, we gripe and we, we're, we're done with that. No, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, Paul told Timothy. So we're in a season of battle. And seasons of battle call us to be on high alert. And friends, can I just warn us and encourage us that, that what happens next in this story the reality, the truth of this story um, did not have to happen, but it happened because David disengaged. It happened because David disengaged in the season of battle. And what we find here is a saga that starts now and, and, and taints like food coloring inside of a clear glass of water, taints the rest of David's life. We have a saga of, of disengagement. We read there, well, David sent Joab and his servants and all Israel out to battle. We read there that David tarried in Jerusalem. Read that with me out loud. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. He stayed there. And we find him disengaging. At the time when the kings would go out to war, it was, it was time to do this. And this was, this was appropriate. This is what you ought to do. And a leader should be out front and should be leading and encouraging. But no, David tarried still. He, he sat down. He remained sitting. He, he dwelt there. He's 42 years of age. It's not like he's, he's 77. He's, he's 42 years of age. He's still in the prime of his life. And, and he's sitting down. He's dwelling there. The idea of the word tarried is, is to inhabit. The idea also carries along to marry. So the idea, I'm, I'm settling down. I'm just going to settle in. I find two contrasting words here. Two contrasting verbs. He sent Joab and his servants and all of Israel. He sent them, but he tarried. But he tarried. But he tarried. You don't have to be much of a student of the Bible to read this verse and say something's not right inside of this verse. Something's not good is going to come out of this. He tarried. David stayed when others were going. David stayed in a safe place and elevated his convenience and his comfort and and. Being at home and no arrows flying, no, no uh, strategies they have to, to work out. They didn't have FaceTime back in that day where they could just Zoom it and, and, and be able to discuss the, the war strategy. He was disengaged. He was separated. And, and were it not for someone bringing some uh, posts and some letters um, via, via horse, uh, he didn't get information. It, it, he was not an active participant in these battles. He stayed in a safe place, in his comfort zone. 
David disengaged from his calling, from his anointing. God had anointed him king of Israel. God had given him the the responsibility to lead as a representative of God and bring protection, protect that flock, protect Israel as a a whole. He was was tasked with this responsibility. David replaced duty with idleness. Home. I'm staying here. I find it interesting that we oftentimes look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and we say, wow, the sin of Sodom was homosexuality. Uh, we think that, that that was a big sin. Do you know what Ezekiel brings out to us? Ezekiel chapter number 28, or re- chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, and abundance, help me out, abundance of idleness. Here in the midst of Pride Month, which God hates pride, and it is just a, a vivid picture of the the rejection of our nation against god okay and we need to pray for a national revival and return to god that's what we need okay so here in the middle of all this as we think about this city sodom god did not even bring up their their indulgence in the sin of homosexuality he brought up the core the roots of their problem it was pride fullness of bread and idleness it sounds like an american vacation right it sounds like boy if we could just get there if i could just if i could just have that new vehicle and if i could just have all the food i wanted and you know all the you know, steak for the grill and and just kick back and do nothing that's really great stuff mm. i wonder as god looks down on america how much ezekiel sixteen forty nine is what he's grieved about with america pride fullness of bread and abundance of idleness So here's David, idle. What's the old quote? Idleness is the devil's workshop. Anytime we send somebody else to fight our battles, to fight the battles God has assigned to us, we're in spiritual peril. We're in spiritual peril. Whenever we disengage and expect others to battle for us, we're in spiritual peril. What does that look like in our lives? And I've taken some time to try to think through this, and I, I trust that you'll do your own spiritual inventory tonight. What does it look like for you to engage? It's really easy to look at David and say, he didn't go out to war when he should have, and it really messed up his life. It tainted his life, and we are now reflecting on this and trying to learn from a bad, a bad example or a bad situation, okay? Uh, it would do us well to realize that we, too, can disengage in a time and season of battle, which is our life. We do the same thing David does when we neglect the study of of God's word and let someone else prepare it for us. It's amazing as we do statistics across America, it's amazing how many believers do not open up their Bible, but they do expect the pastor to prepare a sermon. And God has tasked the pastor with uh, 
feeding the flock and encouraging the flock in, the, in that way. But God has also told us to study, to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. We disengage when we say, no, that's for someone else and allow someone else to fight the battle to grab a hold of the word of God. Do you know it's a battle to prepare any message? It is a battle. Don't be content to let someone else fight the battle of getting into the word of God. You don't disengage in that way. You study your Bible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, if we resist true discipleship, and by true discipleship, I mean being a living sacrifice, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, while enjoying the benefits of other people's true discipleship. What do I mean? We all like it when, when, when others will sacrifice for us and encourage us like Christ. But we disengage when we step back and say, you know what? I'm not going to be a true disciple, but I sure want the rest of the people in the church to be a true disciple. I sure want them to be Christ-like. I sure want them to sacrifice for the Lord. I sure want them to serve in adventure camp. I sure want them to tell somebody about the gospel. We're a Bible-preaching, gospel-preaching church. Someone has to go out and preach the gospel to those people out in Kettering. I'm sure glad someone else will sacrifice, but nope. Not me. Disengage. We disengage when we forsake the assembly, but always expect the rest of the church to be there. I want them to be there when I want them there. I've oftentimes wondered some of the excuses I hear, and I'm, I'm, I'm meddling, and I understand, and if you'll say amen, it'll help us through this, okay? But... I often wonder if I use the same excuses and just called in and use the same excuses that I hear for why I'm not going to show up to church if you all would fire me. This is God's house. The assembly of the church is necessary for the forward motion of the church. Do we get sick? Yep, absolutely. You know, I'm thankful for parents that raised me that unless I was sick and throwing up, I'd be in church. There just was no, there was no two ways about it. And you know what? That sh has shaped my life. And we forsake the assembly and we disengage. We disengage. Friends, it would be something really ashamed when we, we walk up to the church and no one's there. No one's there. But we don't realize our own disengagement is a part of, a, a part of pulling apart a church. We must engage in what God has told us to do. I didn't say forsake not the assembly. In fact, it would seem a little bit uh, self-serving, perhaps, if I were the one that came up with that. But I didn't. I'm just responsible to urge God's people and to remind them constantly that if you're going to hold fast your profession in this incredibly evil day in the midst of a, a pride month when everyone is pressing down on you and saying, hey, you ought to you ought to uh, just condone the sin that is in our is rampant and sanctioned in our society. Uh, I'm just the one that's saying, hey, hey, we need to we need to be together. We need God's people. We need the fellowship. We need the word of God. We need the songs. We need Christ's body. We forsake personal times of prayer and group prayer. Leave it to others to do spiritual battle on their knees. Leave it to others. 
Let's have a night of prayer. No, that's for someone else. I, I got other things to do. I have other things. And, and friends, I, I'm just saying, as we come into this place, the need for us to give ourselves to prayer more and more cannot be underestimated. We are not sufficient for these things. We are not sufficient for what is happening in our world. They hate you. When they're calling on you to repent of your biblical positions, they despise you fiercely. This is a time we need to be giving ourselves to prayer. Let me talk about our homes. We have children in our homes. You know, it's easy for us as dads. Uh, you know what? Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go until it annoys. Because then dads get, you know, get into it, right? You know, uh, then now dad has to do something. Dads, we disengage when we don't take the spiritual leadership and the discipline within our homes. Leave it to mom or the Sunday school teacher or the pastor to teach right and wrong. As we learned this morning in the growth group time, that the role of the home is to teach the truth of God's word. You can, you can, you can abdicate that responsibility or disengage from that responsibility and you can be guaranteed the results of that are not going to be good. Praise God for those that don't have um, parents at home teaching them uh, truths and they get it from church and they soak it. And they, but, but God has tasked, Deuteronomy 6 and verse number 4, he has tasked the homes with this responsibility. But we disengage when we leave it to somebody else. This is what we're seeing in our society. And it's coming back to bite us. Someone else can teach our children. Someone else can teach our children. Oh yeah, now they want to teach our children things that ought not to be taught to children. And while our whole society is going through a really hard lesson right now, uh-oh, they think the children are theirs. Why? Because dads in our nation, I'm talking generally now, in our nation abdicated the responsibility, God-given responsibility to train up their children. And then let's think about that as Christians. How many Christians have abdicated, someone else will teach my children? I won't. And it is a serious matter. We disengage. I've even had it where parents will expect me as a pastor to confront the, the disobedience in their children, the rebellion in their children, rather than being, being the parent and dealing with it themselves. That puts me, that's not my role. That's a disengagement. My role is to encourage and to supplement and teach the gospel and really to encourage the families, but... To, to expect the pastor, oh, well, hey, they're, they're, now, they're now 15, 16, 17, and, and now, pastor, you take care, and you confront, and you call them into your office, and you take them out to coffee, and you fix them up, and you bring them a, to a camp that's going to make it all work together. No, that wasn't the role. There was some disengaging that happened, and I'm not saying that, that children can't make their own decisions and a parent pour their heart into a, a child. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that there's no chance that a child won't make a choice away from God. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, that it's, it is a disengagement when we say, no, it's someone else's duty, not mine. God has given that duty to us as, uh, as dads. And all the dads said, all right, and all the dads said, amen. Well, we'll work on that. And all the dads said, amen. All right. And uh, by the way, grandfathers, still have the blessed responsibility. God has made you grandfathers, not someone else. 
engage as far as God will allow you. We disengage when we're noncommittal to the work of the ministry. Let others pick up the slack. Every one of you are joint. You're all joint at Grace Baptist Church. That means every one of us has a part. No one's insignificant. But when we disengage, it becomes a problem for the whole body. Someone else will pick up that slack. Someone else will take care of that. We grieve the Holy Spirit by continuing on in sin. We disengage. I don't want to hear his voice. I, I put him off. We disengage. You know what? That sin affects not only just you, but it affects the whole body. And, and it's amazing to me how we can expect others to toe the line. But we can disengage from the Holy Spirit's um, voice and his promptings, and it's okay. It's okay for me, but not for others. Friends, we all must stay engaged, allowing the Holy Spirit to have authority in our hearts. We neglect to provoke one another to love and good works, as Hebrews 10.23 says. Someone else will do that. I don't like confrontation. I don't like, I don't like you know, saying things to people. But you know what? Apathy can creep up in each one of our hearts. Can I get an amen to that? How many of you, how many of you ever struggle with apathy? You know, just feeling like, uh, I don't want to do this. You know, just, just kind of cold. Isn't it good when another brother or sister in Christ will come along and pray with you? Say, let me encourage you to be on fire for the Lord and in a loving way encourage you, exhort you. But you know what? We disengage from the health of the body when we can't come along to someone and say, hey, brother or sister, can we go out to coffee? Can we talk? And try to, try to encourage them in the Lord and encourage them to be on fire for the Lord. Do you know that the pastor could never in his lifetime in ministry get around to everyone? The body has to be a part of that. You all agree with that? The body has to be a part of encouraging one another. Isn't that, isn't that what Hebrews 10.23 says? Provoking one another. Provoking one another. But we disengage when we like we walk in and we walk out and we do no provoking, no encouraging. It's a disengagement and it hurts the church. It hurts the church. So here's the issue. Uh, we, uh, like David, can go on a spiritual vacation. And even in these summer months, here's the time. The world says, get the boat out in the lake, grill out. Go on vacation. Vacations are good. I'm not preaching against vacations. Don't get worried, okay? But, but the fact is, this is the time of summer, and ah, it should just be an easier time is what we think, and it could be a time of disengagement. It is not time for a spiritual vacation. It might be a time for a physical vacation, but it is not time for a spiritual vacation. You are still in a battle on vacation. And I will just say this now. I urge you, as you make your vacation plans, also make your plans to be in church somewhere. Make your plans to be in church somewhere. And God's people said, you have Google. Look on Google for an independent, fundamental Baptist church where you can go and meet some new children of God and be encouraged and encourage them. You know what? You'll find some lifelong friends along the way. But I'm amazed at how many believers go, you know what? I'll just disengage. I'll disengage. Not time. Not time. What happens in David's life? Disengagement became the soil for sin. 
Disengagement became the soil for sin. You know the story. Uh, verse number two, and it came to pass at eventide, David arose up from off his bed. So it was after an afternoon nap. He's uh, and walks on top uh, upon the roof of the king's house. And from the uh, roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And the story goes, he calls her. She, he, uh, she comes to his house and she, uh, he sleeps with her and, and commits adultery. Now, let's say a few things about this. Uh, we all can look at David and say, oh man, how in the world did he do this? I want us to realize this was in a time, a season of battle, and now we have David making a decision to disengage, to disengage spiritually, to disengage from his responsibilities, and now we have this sin. Now, it was customary for, uh, for uh, those in those days to have uh, roofs where they could walk on and get fresh air, the house to get stuffy, have roofs. David's roof was likely higher than all the other roofs in the, in the skyline of Jerusalem, so he had the ability to look down. And, and, and not that that in and of itself was a bad thing, but the fact was that was his, his ability. He had the ability to look out and uh, look down, and he finds himself in a situation where he is tempted. The Bible doesn't uh, list out here that, that she was some sort of uh, extremely immoral or just presenting herself uh, self in, a, in, a, in a, uh, a way to tempt him. But the, Satan is very crafty in the temptations and, and the, the moments of time. And, and here's a moment of time where he is tempted and he falls prey to the temptation. The, the idea of the word, he, he walked up there, he walked around. It wasn't just a, a walk in and a walk out. It was a walking around and, and it was also a looking. He saw her and it was a looking. It was a, it was a hanging on to, the, on to the view and he continued. David Brainerd said this, I have ever found that when I have thought the battle was over and the conquest was gained and so let down my watch, the enemy uh, has risen up and done me the greatest injury. So here he is. He, he, it's not time to go out to battle. It, it's not time for me. Someone else can go for me. I'm just going to enjoy the good life here. I'm going to enjoy the fruit of my labor. And it was at that moment that Satan had crafted a very significant uh, temptation and pitfall for David. Now here's something for us to really grab a hold of. The Bible says there in verse number three, and David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men, one of his premier soldiers, one of his special forces? A guy that had fought for David. A, David. a guy that had risked his life for David. And verse number four, and David sent messengers and took her and came in unto her and lay with her, and for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned to her house. I want us to realize up on top of that roof, before it ever became adultery in the bed, it was adultery in his head. And that is not original. I want to just say it is a great thing to remember. Guys, what is wrong in the head is wrong in the bed. And so here he is. He makes this choice. He's already having these lustful thoughts. He follows through on them. Jesus told us, hey, if you commit adultery in your heart, if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's sin there. It's adultery there. Before God, it's adultery. Sex outside of marriage, it's adultery. And, 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 uh, and so David committed this sin of adultery. I want us to notice one phrase here, and, and I'm going to make a side point. The end of verse number four, and she returned unto her house. She returned unto her house. 
Do you know inside of marriage, that never has to happen? There never has to be an escape. There never has to be a covering up. There never has to be a parting. In fact, it was God that said, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24, let a man cleave unto his wife, and the two became one flesh. It was God that said, nope, there's no more parting. Uh, it's an inseparable relationship, and here, now she's having to go to her own house. Uh, things just aren't right here. This, this disengagement is, is become a soil for sin, and it just gets worse and worse. It's not fulfilling. It's not right. The Bible says marriage is honorable and all in the bed, undefiled. It, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. And may I just say, the marriage bed is not a bad thing. God has designed it. But what he says, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. He will bring the judgment upon them. He will um, bring them into account. So David has put himself in a very perilous, dangerous position that of disengagement that has opened up the doorway for sin that he probably said, I, I'd never commit. Jesus told us to watch and pray. Why? So that we don't enter into temptation. Be alert. Stay on your post. Pray. Seek God. Be humble. David disengaged. He lost that, that sense of urgency. He lost that sense of battle. It just took him back. In the season of battle, there was disengagement and there shouldn't have been. But you know what, what happens? It led to a series of consequences in David's life. Now, David knew David knew the Ten Commandments said, don't do this. Knew that there would be consequences, but yet he, he, he made concessions, at first in his mind, and then uh, physically he made concessions. And the Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 3, a prudent man foresees the evil and hideth himself. A, a prudent man looks out, a, a wise man looks out and says, you know what, I ought not go down that road, I ought not go in that house, I ought not be alone with that person, I ought not be on that website, I ought not be in that place at this time, and I'm going to hide myself. David didn't do that. The simple pass on and are punished. One author said, smart people learn from their mistakes, but real sharp ones learn from the mistakes of others. All right, let's learn from the mistakes of others. Let's note the consequences of David for a moment. Chapter 5, and if you could just put a, uh, chapter 11 and verse number 5, if you could just put a dash after that, meaning all the way to the end of his life, and through the rest of time and all of human history, his memory, the consequences live on. There's a series of consequences. Covey said, oh, we are free to choose our actions. We are not free to choose the consequences of our action. A poet said it this way, everybody sooner or later sits down to a banquet of consequences. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also Reap. And so here we have in verse number five, look at it with me. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. I'm with child. What we find here is a, a litany of, of consequences that ensue. He had not only sinned against God and grieved him, he talks about that in Psalm chapter 32. We find that he lost the joy of his salvation in Psalm 51. We find in Psalm 32 as well that he suffered physical stress from the sin and from covering up the sin. He got another man's wife pregnant. Brought a reproach to her and a, and a, and a division in their marriage. 
He uses power. He uses authority to get what he wanted and what destruction it brought to her life. He planned the murder when he couldn't cover it up by bringing, uh, bringing Uriah home and sending, uh, sending him home because he was a man of integrity. He planned and plotted the murder of her husband in battle. But what is really strikes me wasn't just the murder of Uriah that, that he planned and allowed for. He literally, he literally was okay with collateral damage, other Israelites being killed in the process. Verse 17, it led to the death of others. Chapter 12 of this same book, verse number 10, the prophet tells David that the sword is never going to leave your home because of what you've done. The sword is never going to leave your home. Chapter 12 and verse 14, he was also told that the ungodly now have a reason to blaspheme God. They have a reason to curse God. Later on in chapter 13, we come into the story of Ammon uh, raping his half-sister, and we find that Ammon was, was emboldened, or at least not restrained, by a godly testimony of his father, but he, was, he, he found allowance, well, if dad can do that, I can do what I want. No, no spiritual example there that would help his adult son to say, you know what, this isn't right, I ought not do it. Absalom was embittered against Amnon for the, for the rape, and so now plots to murder him, waits two years, and 2 Samuel 13, 23, we find that he carries it out, and now he has to flee, and when he is brought back by those in Israel, he uh, plots against David's kingship and overthrows the kingdom and sends his dad running out of town. And you know that story ends up in chapter 18. Absalom actually riding, catches his long, flowing hair, in a tree branch, and uh, Joab, against the orders of the king, goes out and kills him. And he mourns. And these are go on in David's life, and there's consequence, domino after domino, that falls down because his dad disengaged. that we ought to all really take to heart tonight is sin has far-reaching generational consequences. Do you ever think that it crossed Solomon's mind? Mom and dad, mom and dad didn't do right. It's just, it's just one, one situation, just one more wife. I mean, I marvel at Solomon's life. But what David did in, in measure, Solomon did with abandon. He just added and added and added. No thought of what God had commanded. And so I wonder, is it all over for David? And, and we all, we, most of us would know the story, and, and, and we, we, we quickly say, no, I do want to remind us of Acts chapter 13. Turn there with me as I draw this to a conclusion because we really need to grab a hold of some, some thoughts tonight that would be helpful for us so we can face the battle this week. Acts chapter 13, verse number 21, Paul is, Paul is preaching and, and he's, he's talking specifically about Israel's history and 
and so on. And so we find in Acts 13 and verse 21, and afterwards they, Israel, desired a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. He reigned 40 years. And when he had removed him, Saul, Acts 13, 22, he raised up to them, unto them, David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, what's his testimony? God wrote the bio on David's life. Not someone who liked David, like as a friend, but God himself penned the bio on David's life. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. I read that and compare it to 2 Samuel 11. And I don't understand it. All I can say is the amazing, amazing grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Man, after God's own, God said that about him. Paul didn't say it about him. God said it about him. So what from this story and from this account can we really take home to ourselves and, 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 and make sure that we don't follow the same pattern. It's great that in Acts, God said, uh, he's a man after mine own heart. That's the summary that God gives on his, on his life. It's really great. But do we really have to go through 2 Samuel chapter number 11 in our lives and really have to live that whole process? Do we really have to go through all the pain and, and have the taint in our, in our lives? Do we really have to go through that? Friends, tonight, I want you to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse number 1. All this could be avoided in David's life if, if one verse, if one verse was different. And it came to pass, after that year was expired, at the time when kings go out to war, that David went with Joab and, and his servants and with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and um, besieged Raboth. And imagine if verse number one didn't have the last sentence. Imagine if it wasn't said there that David tarried, but up in, in the earlier part, but David went with Joab. He, he engaged in the battle. He went out with them in this time of battle. Imagine if that was different. And I have one point to say to us all tonight and to every believer here and to our church tonight. It is no time to tarry. It is no time to tarry in this day. It is no time to tarry in your personal lives. It's no time to tarry in our sin. It is no time to tarry in our apathy. It's no time to tarry in our procrastination. It is no time to tarry getting right with God. It is no time to tarry in serving God. It is no time to tarry in getting on our knees and seeking God in prayer. It's no time to tarry in uh, reading our wor uh, His Word and getting into the Bible and allowing it to get into us. It's no time to tarry in putting off self-pleasure and, and lust and bitterness and unforgiveness and despondency and, 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 and conflicts. It's no time to tarry. It's time to be engaged. 
And, and, and just imagine this week as being as pivotal as chapter number 11 and verse number 1. If you're having a moment this week where you should be engaging, yet you sit back and you do not engage, and the rest of your life is changed. Friends, it's no time to tarry. It is no time to sit back when God said go. It's no time. And I have no doubt that the Holy Spirit is specifically dealing in your heart about an area of engagement that you need to uh, take on in, in, in with full strength and full obedience. You do that. But I want to remind us in this year when our theme is uh, conquerors through Christ, that it is possible for us not to tarry when we should be going forward and fighting the battles that God has given us. And he will win the uh, victory because he already has. But do remember this, that our goal this year was to radically increase our understanding and our experience of conquering through Christ over every sin and obstacle that hinders us from fully obeying the word and the will of Jesus Christ. It's no time to tarry. There are battles that need to be fought this week. You, you alone can fight. God has assigned them to you. There are battles in your home. There are battles in your heart. There are battles at work. There are battles in the church. There's battles that God has given you the assignment to fight. You fight them. You go to battle. Don't tarry. Don't tarry. And if David would have gotten down on his knees, Lord, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go back out. I don't want to do this. Joab can do it just, a, uh, just as good of a job. David had gotten down on his knees and sought the Lord and, and, and got the strength from the Lord to go forward in the battle rather than tarrying. And it's totally different. Totally different chapter. It's no time to tarry. It's no time to tarry. And let's not. We're going to take time to pray right now and ask God to help us. You might have to say, God, I've, I've been disengaged. But tonight, I'm not tarrying any longer. I'm engaging. I'm engaging. That might be a very spiritual matter. That might be a physical matter that you can put your, you know, it's a time, place, it's, it's a, a deal like that. But it might be something just in the heart, but it's no time to tarry. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray, Father, we as your people cannot tarry in this season of battle. There is too much on the line. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is on the line. Lord, I'm mindful even this week, your name has been smudged just a little bit more in our country by Christians disengaging when they should engage, by pastors disengaging when they should have engaged, by church members disengaging when they should have engaged, by dads who have disengaged when they should have engaged, by moms who have disengaged when they should have engaged. Oh God, help us. Help us not to tarry. And we implore your help tonight. In Jesus' name, as the piano plays and as we bow for prayer, let's come and do business with the Lord. Tonight, it's no time to tarry. It's no time to tarry. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.